Hello, creepy cats. On this episode of Ew, That's Creepy, the twins are talking about cyber criminals. Jackie is going to tell Melissa the tragic tale of Tyler Bloxham, a 13-year-old boy who was manipulated by a mysterious 16-year-old named Amber. Please be aware that this episode will discuss child pornography, violence, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, creepy cats. We're here with another episode of Ooh, That's Creepy, and we are going to be talking about some more cyber stuff today. We hope you guys liked last episode with some catfishing, even though it was very, very sad. I know, it was so tragic, but it needed to be told because I had never heard about that. Um, I think that it was probably one that is kept close to Australia, but... So sad for all those families involved. I know it was really sad, but I always feel like cyber crimes needs to be talked about because I feel like it's just such a part of our culture nowadays to use social media to meet people and stuff like that. So it is. And the crazy thing is, is that Catfish, the show and the documentary and everything has been out for years, but it really does seem like more and more people are getting catfished and even scammed online. So yeah, that's a good point, especially online scams. Yeah. So definitely just make yourself aware, guys. I have no idea what you're going to tell us, Jackie. I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) This one's probably going to be a A little small episode, a small bean of an episode, but a tragic one nonetheless. A cyber nugget. Yeah, a nugget of sadness. Hmm. Let's just get right into it. This story happens in Stonewall, Louisiana. It begins in December of 2008. Well, it doesn't really begin there, but we'll just start there. Justin Bloxham, he is an 11-year-old boy. He was a football player, and he has two other siblings. And since it's 2008, cell phones and computers are kind of just becoming super popular. So, like most boys, he was texting a lot and using the internet. At 11? Yeah. I mean... How, what grade are you in when you're 11? I don't know, but we didn't. You're in middle school, but I mean, I know a good amount of our friends that got phones in fifth or sixth grade. That is true. That is true. And they definitely texted. Like, I remember that was the first thing you were excited about when you got a phone was to text your friends. That is true. So, I feel like it's just the time, you know. And I also feel like boys, for whatever reason, are more trusted than girls. It's just, like, I feel like people don't think there's as many predators or things like that People that prey on boys. So, sometimes I felt like, just from our personal experience, I knew some boys who had phones before girls did. And maybe that's just because they were also left kind of alone more, so they had to, like, call their parents for rides and stuff like that at a younger age. I don't know. That is actually a good point, because with that being said, when you think about it, young girls and young women are taught a lot more about 
predators on the internet compared to young men. And young men should still be taught because there are a lot of predators on the internet who can pose as someone who you're talking to. Yeah, and even if they're not predators, like sexual predators, there's definitely still a lot of scammers. So teenagers be aware and also parents, just be aware of what your kids or teens are doing. But back to Justin, he's 11, like most teenagers, he wants to dabble in social media, and in 2008, MySpace was all the rage. His parents knew about MySpace, though, and they did tell him that they thought he was a little too young for that, and they didn't want him to make MySpace, even though he had a phone at this point, I believe. But... He did actually make a MySpace, and he had a top eight with his best friends, like most teens, and his parents did find out about the MySpace. I'm not sure how exactly. Somehow his dad did find out that he had a MySpace, and his mom looks up the page. I'm sure you could just find it pretty easily online, and she looks at Justin's MySpace page, and his bio actually says... Your friendly neighborhood super pimp. <gasps> what? I don't love it. Yeah, but so Justin's mom talks to him about this and like just says, you know, what about your MySpace that I'm looking at your profile? And what about your bio? And he is just an innocent teenager and thought that it meant like a superhero, like a, like someone who was cool. Like I don't think he knew exactly what a pimp was And his mom did take this opportunity to warn him about just the internet and the fact that when you put something up, everybody can see it. So she was kind of saying, like, everybody can see this post, and even though I know that you aren't meaning it to mean a literal pimp, maybe other people can take that for something else. Mm -hmm. So she did warn him about posting stuff online. Aw, good mom. That's yeah. a good lesson. Yeah, and they, she also, I mean, she did say, like, come on, I told you not to have a MySpace. So Justin understood, and he didn't use the MySpace anymore after that. He didn't delete it. He just didn't, you know, log back on or anything. Mm-hmm. So two years pass, and Justin is 13, and now he is texting even more because he is a little bit older. He's a teenager now. I feel like you definitely mature a good amount from 11 to 13. I don't know what that that age does to you, but I just feel like you your hormones are kicking by 13. Especially especially for young men. Yeah, their hormones are kicking. Justin has a best friend named Dustin. <laughs> Justin and Dustin. I know, isn't that cool? Oh my gosh. They're best friends, and they plan to have a sleepover one night in 2010. Justin's mom remembers dropping him off at Dustin's house. It was only six minutes away, so it was pretty close. And Justin's mom remembers that it was a full moon, so the moon was really big. And they had planned that Justin's brother, Tyler, would pick up Justin in the morning. Justin was texting somebody at Dustin's house, and Dustin said this was normal, like, most boys, they both texted a lot, and, you know, like, would be talking, but also texting, how a lot of people do. Yeah, this was a time where I swear to God, when I think about being 13, I was texting non-stop to I my would, friend, yeah. what are you doing, sitting here, ha-ha, <laughs> eating cereal, ha-ha, you? 
Literally, you would just text straight up just to text, like just to be talking to another human being. And if you didn't have an unlimited texting plan, God have have mercy on your soul. I'm sure you went over your limit more than one time. But Justin was texting during his sleepover, but it was like normal. Dustin said around 10 p.m. he said he was tired and he told Justin this and he was like, I'm tired so I'm going to watch TV in my room. And Justin also joined and they had a bunk bed so Dustin just put on the TV and they laid in bed and eventually fell asleep. Cute. Regular teenage boy stuff. The next morning is March 30th, 2010. Dustin wakes up and he leans over the bunk bed and he notices that Justin isn't there anymore. So he is like, what the heck? He's already a little startled because this just isn't really normal. But he thinks that maybe Justin took a phone call or something and stepped out since it was the morning. Mm -hmm. So he looks around the house and looks in the backyard, just kind of like looks all over the place for his friend But he can't find his friend anywhere, so he clearly is getting more worried as the minutes go along. And he just doesn't know what to do. He only thinks that, like, his only hope is maybe Justin just went home early and somehow either got a ride or went back. Yeah. I remember some mornings where you can't sleep and you text your mom and she comes and gets you at 7 a.m. before your friend is even up. Yeah, but I feel like usually you text your friend, like, even though they're sleeping. Like, True. Or, or something. Or see their parents on the way out. Yeah. But Dustin is holding out hope that that's just what happened. But he calls his mom because he is panicked. And I believe his mom wasn't there at the time. But he calls his mom. And his mom tells Dustin to go over to Justin's house to see if he made it there. And... I don't know if she gave him a ride, but regardless, Dustin makes it over to Justin's house and knocks on the door, and Justin's brother Tyler answers, and he's confused because he's like, I thought that Justin was staying at your house, and Dustin is like, no, I woke up and he wasn't there, so I thought maybe he came back, and Justin's brother Tyler actually thinks that Dustin is like kind of playing a prank on him or something. But when he realizes that it's not a joke, he calls his mom, and Justin's mom immediately says, call 911, because she knows this is very suspect and not like her son. I couldn't even imagine the feeling in your heart and your stomach when you realize that he wasn't at home. I know, and being the friend, like, to be Dustin, that would be, oh. I'm sure you'd have so much guilt no matter what happens, thinking, where was I when he had left? And just the anxiety of waking up and your friend isn't there, that enough would be really scary. Yeah, so sad. And at that age. Like, they are young. Sadly, Justin is reported missing around 10.30 a.m. that morning, and police respond immediately since it is a child. They thought that perhaps Justin just snuck out and would eventually either make his way home or would be found and would be in a lot of trouble. And his family says at first they were worried, but they weren't immediately scared or frightened because they did just think maybe he snuck out and went to go do something. Neighbors and a lot of people in the community were out and about looking around and kind of just taking interest in what was going on because they 
knew the family and they knew that this wasn't really normal. <laughs> Dustin was aware that Justin had I'm not like an online girlfriend, I'll say, named Tyler Cummings. And she lived about 20 minutes from where they lived. So people were thinking that maybe Justin snuck out at night to meet his girlfriend Tyler because he had been texting her. And they thought that if he went to go see Tyler, he would have needed a ride since it was 20 miles away. So they're like now going to try to see if they, if anyone saw any cars in the neighborhood that night or anything like that. Yeah. A neighbor who I believe was a teacher, a professor of some sort, was up late that morning around 2 a.m. and he saw a taxi was in the area and he could see it was clearly a taxi because it was a full moon, as Justin's mom noted earlier, and it was pretty bright out that night. So he saw clearly that it was a taxi, and this was pretty memorable to him. So when everything went down, he told the police that, and the police thought that this would fit in line with Justin going to meet his girlfriend, Tyler, and that he probably had called a taxi. Wow, that's pretty adult, calling a taxi at 13. I know, right? I've never called a taxi still. I mean, we have Uber now, but that is pretty adult for a 13-year-old to be making moves at 2 a.m. like that. And he would have to have enough cash on him to pay the taxi. Like, if I was just going to a sleepover, I wouldn't have money on me. True. But regardless, an officer, they do check to see if Justin had visited his girlfriend, and they do confirm that his girlfriend, Tyler is, like, a real person, you know, and they go out to speak with her, and she is, like, a teenage girl, but, yeah, she said she was texting Justin that night, but he never came to her house or anything like that. The police can see from Justin's phone that he was texting until 9.30, and then he stopped until 11, but then was texting from 11 p.m. until 3 a.m., do they have his phone or they're just looking at the records? At this point, they're just looking at the records. So they don't know, like, what he was saying at this point or anything like that. But they can see he was texting from 11 p.m. until early morning. Okay. Police can see from police reports that around 6 a.m. the morning of Justin's disappearance, a police officer had been driving on Highway 171 when he noticed a vehicle had been pulled over and he saw a white male standing in a ditch with a flashlight kind of looking around. So the officer pulled over and just asked him if he needed any assistance or anything like that. And the man said that he had ran out of gas and then dropped his keys, so he was looking for them with the flashlight. The police officer offered him, like, a ride or something like that, but the man said that he had somebody coming for him, somebody else from the taxi company, and that they were just going to bring another set of keys to, for this man to drive the taxi. And the officer, you know, just like had no reason to suspect anything. So he just said, okay, and went along his way. And then a few hours later, another officer was driving around the same area and saw a white man behind a taxi and he had his hands on the steering wheel and was shaking the steering wheel violently enough to make the car shake. 
So he looked, he looked very like disheveled and rattled and upset. Yeah. And this police officer definitely thought it was odd, but he was actually late to work that morning. So he was just like, "Mm." like he remembers thinking he should have gone back, but he was also late. And I think that he had a call. Like it wasn't just, he was late going in. He was responding to something. So he didn't stop at that point, but obviously after Justin disappeared, he realized that this was very suspicious. Uh, I don't like that. No. Officers go to this area on Highway 171 where the reports of the taxi was. And they're just looking in the area. And the taxi obviously isn't there anymore. But they find a pile of cigarettes, like, smoked down. And they said it looked like someone had smoked them in that area. So they continue to look around, and they see that grass is laid down a lot in one certain little area, kind of like making a path, and they can also see um, footprints, I believe shoe prints. So they keep looking in this area and keep just following this path of grass that has been laid down. Eventually, the officers sadly come across Justin's body, and it is in a creek They discovered this 12 hours after Justin had been reported missing. And the autopsy shows that Justin was killed by asphyxiation. Oh my god, that is so sad. At such a young age, like, who, seriously, what monster could do something like that to a totally innocent child? Yeah, and just 12 hours after he was supposed to be having a fun sleepover... Probably would have woken up and had breakfast or something that morning with his friend. Just 12 hours later, he's deceased. It's, like, unimaginable. It makes me so sad. Yeah. And since he is a child, police are working their tails off to figure out who did this heinous thing to Justin. I mean, yeah, the one positive is the fact that they found him so fast. I know. It's like, ugh. It's horrible, but it's better than a long time passing, I guess. Police are able to locate... I forgot to mention, the neighbor was actually able to give a name of the uh, cab company. So they did know the name of the cab company of the taxi that they had seen that night, and they called the company. And somehow the company is able to probably locate... I bet you have to log, like, where you were, you know, as a taxi driver. So they're able to locate what person was driving the taxi in the area that night. And it's a man by the name of Brian Horn. They can already tell by looking up his name that he has prior convictions, a good number of them. So they're just like, this isn't looking good. The cab company also says that Brian Horn returned the cab that morning of March 30th and quit his job immediately. He just gave the cab back and quit on the spot. He did it. He did it 100%. <laughs> yeah, that's like so suspect. Did he give a reason when he quit? No. Oof. Police were able to also take fingerprints off of the taxi, specifically off of the passenger side window. But you know how it is with DNA. It takes a little bit to process and all that stuff. But they also go to Brian's house, and Brian does have a wife named Amanda, but she says they were in the middle of splitting up, so she hadn't seen Brian in a couple of days, and it's not like she was 
calling him or anything. You know how it is when you're splitting up with somebody. But she did let them in. And police released a news article looking for Brian Horn because he's obviously a person of interest. And he shows up voluntarily with his brother shortly after that report is sent out. Police interview Brian and they say that he is 30 years old but doesn't come off like that. He seems quite innocent and kind of scared, almost like a a child. They say he's not very menacing or anything, but they ask him all about the night and ask him if he had been in the woods or anything like that. And Brian says, no, nothing like that. He didn't pick up Justin, nothing. What was Joe Taxi doing at 2 a.m. in his neighborhood then? (laughs) Right. Brian's brother, Kevin, he tells police that Brian, like, had some stuff in his pockets or whatever when he got into Kevin's car and that it fell out of his pockets or Brian took it out of his pockets and left it in the car. But Kevin just lets police take this stuff from his vehicle and he, police actually find an AT&T SIM card. <gasps> SIM cards are so teeny tiny, too. Like, good thing that they found it. Well, actually, maybe back then they were probably larger. Well, good thing that Kevin was like, you guys can just um, search my car, basically. Yeah. But they do find this teeny tiny SIM card, and it's Brian's. And they ask Brian, what about your phone? And he says he doesn't have it right now because his wife smashed it when they were having an argument. They go back to Brian's house. Then why do you have the SIM card? Wait, then why do you have the SIM card? I don't know. I don't know. Huh. But they go back to Brian's house. I believe they had a search warrant this time because they're able to get the computer and search it. And it's actually Brian's wife's computer. They find a lot, a lot of files on the computer. They said there was just a lot of stuff to go through. But they do find one specific file that contains child pornographic images and also had either pictures or videos of people being smothered. What the fuck? Very suspicious. They question Justin again, especially now that they have the stuff on his computer And he's crying a lot, and he's very, very upset, but he's not admitting to anything. He's just, like, shaking his head back and forth when they're asking him if he knows about what happened. But he's not giving in, and eventually he asks for a lawyer and basically says he isn't going to talk. He probably realized he was in deep. Eventually, police get back Justin's phone and, like, actually can see the number in the messages And they realized that somebody had texted Justin that night at 11, and it was a number that he did not recognize, and said that their name was Amber. And the conversation started very, very basic, like, who are you? And Justin was saying, how did you get my number? Things like that. Mm -hmm. Justin still keeps entertaining this conversation and answering it, even though he doesn't know who the person is. I believe the Amber individual said that they knew him through friends or through school or something like that. And it is innocent at first, but then Amber begins to send a little more explicit and sexual type of messages. It begins to get a little more 
inappropriate. Yeah, a little more flirty, and the conversation goes from being innocent to not being very so innocent. And it goes on for a while, and eventually this Amber person just says, like, we should meet up. It's around 1 a.m., and Amber says that she borrowed a car and is going to drive over to the house and pick up Justin, and Justin agrees. Oh, no. And let me remind you, Justin is 13, so even if Amber, this person, is whoever they say they are, I'm thinking that they would have to be a little bit older to borrow a car and drive over. Right. You would be at a minimum 15 and a half with a permit. Yeah. And that's pushing it because even if you had a permit, you shouldn't be driving over at 1 a.m. Just seems like this person is, even if they are Amber, they're a little bit older than Justin. But Justin is hesitant. He's kind of trying, he's not giving in to it a whole lot, but the Amber person just keeps trying to push him to meet and persuade him. And Justin does go along with it, and I'm assuming he went along with it because he's a teenage boy, and I think it was obviously alluding to a sexual meetup or something of that nature. Yeah. So this person is kind of manipulating Justin into meeting. And around two, the Amber individual says that she doesn't see Justin outside and she can't find him, so she's going to send a taxi, and that the taxi driver's name is Chad. Oh my god, that's so suspect. At 3 a.m., Justin sneaks out again to wait for the taxi, and he texts Amber and says that he is getting into the taxi. And this is just four hours after the profile even texted Justin. and it, It's just crazy thinking. And do we know how they got the number? We're going to say that later, but as of now, no. They just gave Justin, like, this basic answer, like, I know you through a friend kind of thing. Right. But no. Police continue to search the area where Justin's body was located, and they find a key next to the shoe that belonged to Justin, and this key is to the cab. Obviously, Brian Horn's cab. So, at this point, it's a little hard to say that he had nothing to do with it since his taxi cab car key is right next to Justin's body. You had to give the cab back, though. Why did you not just give the key? I think he might have really lost it. I think he really did lose the key. Oh, my God. That's I don't karma. Know how, yeah, I don't that know. Is karma that you lost it at the crime scene. God took that key out of your pocket that night and put it on the ground. Right. But he is charged with first-degree murder. At his trial, a little more stuff about him just comes out. They find that Brian had been using his wife's online profile to try and meet with strangers online and hook up. And he had actually met with other couples. I think with his wife, I think they might have been kind of swinging But he was on Craigslist doing all sorts of stuff. And they find out that he got Justin's number after he downloaded a contact list from a friend of his stepdaughter's. So somehow he had 
his stepdaughter's friend's cell phone and downloaded her contact list. Ew. And so he clearly knew how old Justin was. And what I wonder is if I, I really wonder if he Googled Justin before and found his MySpace profile because he had never deleted it. I wonder mm. if that happened. Yeah, because this is so strange. Why are you, why do you even have the phone? Why are you downloading an entire contact list? And it's disgusting because there's nothing good that could come from that. So no matter what his intention was, it was disgusting. Exactly. And I think that Brian's wife did testify at the trial and she did say that Brian would be a little aggressive during sex and would choke her sometimes, and I believe, like, other partners when they were swinging. And they also said that Brian suggested that a younger man should join them in sexual activities at some point, too. Um, he should not. I agree. There was also evidence presented that the last messages Justin had sent were around 3.15 He had sent a final message to Amber saying the car just died. And you know what is so scary? Thinking, I wonder if Brian's phone dinged when that happened and Justin was just sitting in the back seat like, oh shit. That just made me feel sick because... It is. It's a horrible thought. He had to have had the phone if he was saying he was there, so... Oh, Oh, without a doubt that Brian... And I mean, they obviously did trace the phone to Brian, like, clearly... It's just, I wonder, yeah, if his volume was on, because that was the last message that Justin sent. So I'm assuming that's what Brian said, but I just wonder if that was the turning point where Justin realized he had been tricked. Oh my god, that breaks my heart. Yeah, it's horrible. The coroner testified at trial that Justin had died from being smothered, and he believed that the perpetrator smothered Justin while he was on Justin's back, and he also identified several ruptured blood vessels in Justin's eyes and on his face and forehead, which he believes would require the perpetrator to apply pressure to some part of the body, like smothering. Oh my god. He also identified an abraded contusion on the inside of Justin's mouth, which was consistent with the perpetrator compressing his lips and mouth, like, against his braces. So, since Justin had braces, that was just more evidence that he had been smothered. And they said that there were some other just minor abrasions on Justin's body. Justin had injuries to his neck, face, hands, back, shoulder, and torso, and these injuries did occur before death, and they were not solely attributed to smothering, so I'm assuming there was some sort of scuffle. The jury did find Brian guilty of first-degree murder and determined that he should be sentenced to death, but... This conviction was overturned because of an error made by Brian's defense counsel. Brian had objected to his counsel's closing arguments that conceded his guilt. His defense team basically said that Brian had done it, but had said that it was more of like a negligent or accidental killing and not intent. I don't even know how they came up with that, but... 
Regardless, Brian Horn said that his defense counsel basically presented arguments against his direct authority not to. So the court said that his constitutional rights were violated and they overturned his conviction. But shortly after that, a grand jury did indict Brian again with first degree murder. So he will be charged with that again because it's not like, you know, it's not like he's found not guilty. Okay. So they're just going to charge him again. They just overturned the death penalty. It was, they overturned his conviction, but it's not like they can't try again. Okay. Because it was like a mistake on the part of his counsel, you know, not like there was new evidence or of his innocence or anything like that. So I'm assuming he will get another trial again. Was that recently? And uh-huh. Oh. Yeah, that was in 2021 that they indicted him again. I think it was overturned. That's crazy. Maybe so the crime or something like that. So yeah, the crime happened in 2010, and this just now is kind of happening where he's indicted again. So sadly, I do think his family might have to go through this all again. Ugh. But I kind of think that if Brian Horn, maybe he won't want to go through it again. Maybe he'll take a plea. I don't know. I don't know what he will do. Maybe he but just he is charged him. once again. He should just tell the family the truth at this point. It's been years. You know, you denied it with so much mounting evidence. Yeah. Just tell them the truth so maybe they can find it in their heart to forgive you. Yeah, and I failed to mention that the DNA uh, on the taxi was Justin's. I don't know if I mentioned that or not, but the DNA that they did find on the taxi was Justin. So, I mean, that's the real... Not only do they have the circumstantial evidence of people seeing the taxi in the area, they have Brian's phone. They have the made-up record. They have the link of how he got the number. The car key at the crime scene. The key at the scene. The the print on the taxi. I mean, it is sad. It's overwhelming how much evidence. And they had it so quickly. I mean, I think they interviewed Brian in the next couple days, so... It truly is impossible that he didn't do it and that Justin was not in the car. And it's like, okay, if that somehow isn't the case, if not Brian, then who else? We know Amber isn't real. So, and we know his 13 year old girlfriend was, you know, in a town 20 miles away. Who the hell else would have had the motive? Yeah, he should have. I don't even know. If anything, he perhaps picked up somebody or picked up Justin and dropped him off and someone did it after that. But come on now, that's just, no. Like, Brian Horn. They would have known he was lying, though, because it would have been, why were you picking him up if you were Amber? Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, that's like to catch a predator, basically. Like, they just presented him with these texts. But sadly, (sighs) that is the story of Justin Bloxham. It is so sad. That he was just so manipulated, and you wouldn't think that somebody... I mean, 
you would be thinking, how would a complete stranger get my number unless they knew me? It's yeah. not like nowadays where you can Google someone and somehow get the number. And you would never think as a 13-year-old that a random stranger is the one coming to pick you up. And that's where it A truly, random man. Man. And that's where it truly is so sad for Justin, the fact that someone just preyed upon him like that. and Straight up preyed upon him. It breaks my heart, and I think this goes back to what we said at the beginning, where young men need to be taught more than I think they are about being safe as well, as much as young females are, because people will prey on you no matter your size, your stature, anything like that, if they find you to be vulnerable. So, ugh, I hope his family is healing. That's so sad. I agree. It is, it's just so extremely tragic, and... It does just highlight the fact that any age and gender can really be preyed upon and can try to be manipulated. Yeah. So if if you're young or if you're old, everyone just really needs to pay attention to who they're talking to online and how much information they're putting out there about themselves, too, and yeah. just really being safe and careful. Yeah, don't ever be afraid to question someone. Don't ever be afraid to bring a friend to a meetup and exactly, tell them that. Exactly, exactly. If they're not okay with you bringing somebody to the meetup, it's not worth your time. It is not worth it. Or if you say, I'll be sharing my location the entire time with someone else. Yes. I hope, too, that Dustin and his family is healing because how tragic. Yes. For, I'm sure they feel some sort of guilt, like, if we wouldn't, if we would have been able to make sure he didn't go out it's not their fault but I could only imagine how they feel too I agree it's really I'm sure it's extremely tough for both families so just everyone send them some love and care and also if you have kids or if you know anyone who uses social media a lot just try to make sure they're Mm -hmm. being safe and even Brian's wife like damn he even pulled her into it I know. For no reason. I know. Keeping that stuff on her computer, like... Ugh, I yeah. will be following his case, that's for sure. Me too. Me too. But well, I hope you guys liked this episode. Sorry that these were both sad ones, but it's just also, you know, be safe online. That's the main point we're trying to stress. And the victims deserve to have their stories told because I feel like every time you tell a victim's story, it could somehow have someone else be a survivor or prevent a situation like that. So Exactly. And it is not either of our victims' faults that they were manipulated by people who are so horrible. Online predators. <laughs> yeah, straight up online predators. The definition. We need Chris Hansen and Neve to just team up and annihilate everyone online who is foul. I agree. But we hope you guys are being safe and careful. And thank you guys for listening to another episode of Ooh, That's Creepy podcast. We appreciate you guys so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at Ooh, That's Creepy podcast. Or send us an email at ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.